Hey, welcome to the fourth episode of the Coffee and Pens podcast. This time I talked to April Dunford, who wrote the amazing book, Obviously Awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning so Customers Get It, Buy It, Love It. In this fun and energetic interview, we discussed self-publishing, April's marketing strategy, and how to position a book. Let's dive in. Hi, April. Thank you so much for being on the Coffee and Pens podcast. Uh, first of all, I'd love to hear a short introduction of yourself. Uh, sure. So, so I'm April Dunford. My background is um, uh, I spent 25 years as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of successful tech startups. And then in the last five years, I transitioned to consulting. So today I work with tech companies. And in particular, I have a focus on positioning. Um, and I did write a book. It's called Obviously Awesome. And unsurprisingly, it is a book about how to do positioning for tech companies. All right. That's great. And what's your position on coffee? My position on coffee. You know what? Your your readers, your listeners will hate this. Um, so, I, so for a long time, I was a big, big coffee drinker. And at some point, I decided caffeine stressed me out. And so okay. now I drink decaf which is terrible coffee. And so I'm, I'm like the opposite of a coffee connoisseur. Like I drink coffee once in a while and it's decaf and it's literally terrible. So yeah, that's my position on coffee. Okay. No, that, that's, <laughs> that's funny because I know I didn't ask this in the beginning, but then someone pointed out, you know, I'd love to know these little things about like, what coffee do they drink? <laughs> and since I started asking people like, no, I don't drink coffee. I drink tea or I drink decaf. I stopped drinking coffee because it's bad for me. <laughs> So yeah, it's quite ironic. So funny. Like, so yeah, I think I'm naturally caffeinated. Maybe I needed it more when I was younger or something. But, you know, right now I'm like, I have all the energy I need. Thanks. Excess, in fact. And so, yeah, I don't need the caffeine. Thanks. I'm a decaf drinker. Yeah, it looks like you do have a lot of energy. I, I watched your interview with, with Rob Fitzpatrick because I talked to him two weeks ago and he suggested this video. You're always laughing. Like we're talking just a few minutes now and you're, it looks like you're full of energy. <laughs> so well, I'm trying to have fun with this. I mean, this is the point of, in my opinion, the point of the late stage of your career is that if you're, if you're working, you should be having fun with it. So I'm focused on that. Cool. So about your book, let's get started talking about the whole process of writing your book from the very beginning. To, mm. to publishing it and, and sharing it, distributing it. Why did you decide to write about this particular topic? Yeah, well, so I'm a bit of a one trick pony. So, you know, positioning is my thing and that's really my focus area. And the journey to doing the book is kind of a winding one. So, um, so I had been consulting for a few years and specifically working with companies on positioning work. And one of the things about positioning is that it's a really misunderstood concept. And so I was finding myself in the early meetings I'd have with CEOs, I'd have to spend a lot of time explaining, well, here's what positioning is, and here's, here's what it looks like when it's bad, here's what it looks like when it's good. And I'd be telling the same stories over and over again. And then the second thing was, um, as a consultant, some people would come to want to work with me, but then they couldn't afford it because they're little companies and they're just started and they don't have any funding. And they'd say, look, can you can we just have a coffee and you can help me with a couple of things? And I say yes to a lot of those meetings. 
but it's hard, you know, again, positioning is kind of a big crunchy topic and there's only so much we can get into in an hour over coffee. So I had this idea, wouldn't it be good if I had a book that kind of did the job of those meetings? And so the book would kind of explain, here's my idea of what positioning is, why it's important, how you tell, you know, what it looks like when it's bad, what it looks like when it's good. And, and then if you were a founder that couldn't afford to hire me, like essentially the book would lay out, here's how I would do it. If I was working for you, this is my methodology and you can go do it yourself. And then for a CEO that wanted to hire me, you know, they could look at it and it's basically the brochure that says, if you want, if you don't want to do it yourself and you want someone else to come in and do it, here's exactly what I'm going to do when I come in. And, you know, you can decide for yourself whether you think that's bunk or not. So that's why I decided to write the book. I thought, well, it'll be, you know, on the one hand, useful to me in my consulting business. On the other hand, it'd be a bit of my gift to the universe. Uh, You know, if you don't know how to do positioning, you work at a tech company, here's a book that can tell you how to do it, which as far as I could tell, there was no other book out there that did that. This is quite, I'm not sure if ironic is the right word, sorry to put it in that context, but from what I got um, and the information I found, and then comparing it to what you just said. So you wrote it initially because you wanted to help people that didn't have the budget. So you could give them that initial information about, hey, here's how positioning works. I'm writing this to help. But then the result of that book has been that your consulting business like skyrocketed and then you've doubled yeah. your, your rates once or twice and that you'll have like a lot of extra um, business. Is that something that you had in mind while writing this book or did that just come as an extra? Yeah, I got to say, I think it came more as an extra, like I didn't necessarily think it was that the book itself was going to result in as much new business as it has, like, um, previous to writing the book, most of my business came from referrals. So, you know, I'd work with a company and then CEOs talk to CEOs and, you know, they're in groups together and stuff. And so I get a call from some other CEO and they'd say, Hey, I was talking to this other person and they said you were great. So um, we should talk. And so, yeah, I thought the book would be more useful for the process that happened after I get that call. Like, so I get that call and then I got to explain what's positioning and blah, blah, blah. Instead, I could just say, Hey, well, you can read this book. It's really short, you know, and <laughs> get through it. And then you can decide whether you want to work with me. But the result of it is, um, yeah, so now I get a lot of business that isn't from referrals. I mean, I still get a reasonable amount of referral business, but I get a lot of business that's, I would consider greenfield. Um, and it's from folks that have read the book and, you know, and they want an outside person to come in and help them do it. And so then they call me. And that's been a lot more than I thought. I actually didn't think the book would sell many copies. So that was a surprise too. So yeah, everything about the book was kind of surprising. Oh, I wouldn't agree with that because I think you did a lot of research beforehand as well. So you mentioned you did quite a few interviews. And what I, what I liked about that is, so the, the part where you tell, you interviewed CEOs and ask them, where do you read your books? And most of them like, okay, I'll read them on flights and a plane. And they got to the middle of the book and then like they don't read the rest anymore because, you know, they, they landed and they maybe left the book on the plane. They didn't get back to it or anything. So you decided to write a half a book. Anyway, having said this, interviews, I think, were uh, very, had a very strategic place in writing mm-hmm. your book. How many interviews did you do? How did you handle this? 
Yeah. So, so, you know, when I was working on the material for the book, the first thing I did was, you know, I got my handle on the material. So I was teaching positioning a lot. I was obviously doing positioning with clients, but I was also teaching positioning in a regular course at a couple of different startup accelerators. For a while, I did a course at a couple of different universities where I was teaching positioning. And you get a lot of feedback when you do that and you get better at explaining the concepts. And so I think there's, you know, and Rob, the, 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 guy who wrote the mom test, he talks a lot about this, that there's real value in being able to teach stuff. And so that was before I met him, but I had done that as a phase. And I thought that was a really critical thing for me to kind of work on, not just, I knew the methodology worked, but it helped me be able to explain it better and teach it better. So there was that whole phase. But then when I went to write the book, I was a bit like, I don't know book stuff, like what makes a good book or a bad book. And, you know, if I'm going to write a book, I should find out something. And one of the things I did was, you know, I come from tech, from product marketing, and I thought, you know, I can treat this book like a product. And so if this was a product, what's the first thing I would do? Well, I would do customer discovery interviews and find out you know, what is, why do people buy books and what do they want to get out of books? And when they do read books, what do they look like? And that would inform how the book itself would get created as a product. So, you know, in my normal course of the day, I talk to a lot of CEOs because I'm having coffee meetings with CEOs and I have CEOs calling me for all kinds of things. And my target market for this book was um, CEOs of tech companies, but also people that run product marketing or product people inside tech companies. So I get exposed to a lot of them. So I thought, all right, well, you know, when I'm doing these coffee meetings and everything else, I say, look, we need to save 10 minutes at the end of this meeting. And I'm going to, I'm going to quiz you on books. So we get to the end and I'd say, Hey, like read any good books lately? What do you think about books? Do you read books? Uh And I did maybe 50 of these conversations-ish, I would say. Um, and, uh, and it was interesting how consistent the answers were. Like, um, like one, all the C- every CEO I talked to said, I read books, I like books, I think books are critical to what I do. Like I didn't meet a CEO who told me they didn't read books. And then, but then what was really interesting is the biggest complaint people had about books was that they were full of fluff. Like, you know, I felt like I could skim this. I wish someone would just give me the summary of this book. Uh They seem to be too repetitive. Um, And then I got probing them, like you say, about how do you read books? Like, because they'd say, my biggest problem is I don't have enough time to read books. And I said, oh, well, when do you read the books? And they say, well, a great time to read books is when you're on a flight. So I live in Toronto. It's very common for the CEOs to be flying back and forth to Silicon Valley. That's a three, four hour flight. So the the CEO would come and say, I load it up on my Kindle or I buy the book. I get on the plane and I read the book and that's how I get the book done. And I'm like, well, that's only two, three hours. Like, how far of the book do you get? (laughs) The CEO would say, oh, I get about halfway through, but that's okay. I pretty much got it at that point because there's so much filler and everything Uh else. I'm like, do you ever go back and read the back half? And they're like, no. (laughs) So I said, wow, like books are designed wrong for this audience. Mm -hmm. Like the book should actually be way shorter. There should be way less repetition. It should be, the book should be organized in a way that if you do want to skim, it's easy to skim. And so I, so I think I got a lot of those interviews just in terms of 
the design of the book, how long the book should be, um, you know, and so as a result, I think my book looks maybe a little bit different than a lot of business books. It's a heck of a lot shorter. Uh, there's zero repetition in it. Um, there's a bunch of white space and it's organized in a way that if you want to skip ahead and say, I know this step, April, you know, you can just skip mm -hmm. to the next step. It's pretty easy to do. And that was yeah. designed very much on purpose because I thought that would be a product that my buyers would like. Uh huh. So that was all the, all the prep work to actually decide how's my book going to look like, what it's going to yeah. be about. Did you do like an actual positioning exercise for your book as well? Like where I'm going, to, <laughs> where am I going to put this, like which category and everything? Yeah, well, yeah, like using my own methodology. I think I can't help myself, but I position everything that way in my head. But like uh -huh. the key part of my methodology is to look at it and say, okay, if the book didn't exist, what would you do? Okay. And that's the starting point for it. And if the book didn't exist, what you do is you try to figure it out yourself. So that's one alternative. So you might try to figure out yourself. Another alternative is you might go to your agency and have your agency do it. And there's a bunch of reasons why that's no good. Um, you might buy some other books and there's definitely other books out there. So I had to be careful to position against all those things. Like, mm -hmm. you know, how is my book different than there's a really famous book on positioning um, that exists called positioning the battle for your mind It's by these guys, reason trout. And I had to very specifically position against that. Well, why wouldn't you just buy the reason trout book? It's the, it's the, you know, the original text on this subject. Yeah. It sold hundreds and thousands of copies. Um, so I was very explicit about that in the marketing of my book and the way I talked about my book is I said, look, like the Reason Trout book is actually an amazing book. I have it. I've probably read that book seven times. Uh, I think everyone should read that book, but don't expect that book to tell you how to do it. What that thing is going to do is it's going to explain what positioning is, tell you why it's great, give you the positioning fever. Um, but those people aren't going to give you any clues how to get it done. So I positioned my book as complementary to that book, not necessarily competing um, because we were trying to accomplish different things. Mm -hmm. But that was an important part of the positioning of the book. Like, why not just do the reason trout thing? In fact, when I first talked to publishers, the publishers were like, we don't want to publish this book there's already a book on positioning your thing needs to be about something else <laughs> mm -hmm. right uh how would you advise new authors to position their books when they like come across this problem someone tells them you know what there's already a book about this how how do you handle making it different well this is it i think you really need to understand how is it different like it, it needs to be accomplishing some other goal and so, you know, in my case, again, there was this great book, but the book was very much um, a book about positioning theory, really, mm -hmm. like a book, just a conceptual book, like an inspiration book, more than an actionable educational book. And so, you know, I decided mine was going to be like, you know, their book was the book that you read to do positioning 101. But if you actually wanted to get positioning done and I need a handbook, like a practical thing that's going to tell me step one, step two, step three, here's how I get it done. My book was for that. Um, the other thing, that is, so I think you need to understand your audience and what they're trying to accomplish. My audience is very fed up 
with conceptual books. Okay. <laughs> they, they get angry about this, that they're mm-hmm. like, I read the book, I got the idea, and then it didn't tell me what to do with it. <laughs> right. So, but so for my audience, I think it was important for me to get at that part of it. But, you know, for other people's books, I don't know. I think you need to decide. Sometimes I think there's audiences that are underserved, for example. Like my book is very much oriented towards tech companies because that's my background. That's all I know. And as a consultant, that's who I work with. If you read the Reason Trout book, it's kind of for everybody. Like they're talking about Uh positioning the island of Jamaica and positioning, you know, cola and all kinds of stuff. They have one tech example in the whole book. Mm -hmm. So mine was a bit more focused on that so i think what you need to understand is what's the competition like that might be other books or or other ways of solving the problem and then you know what what are you going to bring to the table that those other folks can't and what's the value of that so in mine it was well you could read the reason trout book but it doesn't give you a methodology mine gives you a methodology so you can actually fix your positioning (laughs) just think about it that's great that's good advice thank you is is your title a conscious choice in that positioning? Because obviously awesome doesn't tell me what I'm going to get. No, it doesn't. Uh, I, you know, I wrestled with the idea of the title. So the the book, the most famous positioning book that out there is, is literally called Positioning. And the uh-huh. subtitle is called The Battle for Your Mind. So had that book didn't, if that book did not exist, I would have just called my book Positioning. <laughs> And the subtitle would have been something else, right? Uh Maybe a little, give you a little flavor of positioning for tech companies, blah, 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 you know? Um, So I wrestled with it because I really wanted to put positioning in the title. In the end, I went with kind of a longer title, like in the same way that that the reason Trout book is positioning the battle for your mind. Mine is obviously awesome. How to nail product positioning so customers get it, buy it, love it. So positioning still sits in the title, although technically it's in the subtitle. Uh Um, And in the end, I thought, you know what? No one is going to buy this book unless they've been subjected to my marketing. Like, I don't think anyone is going to walk into the bookstore, see my book on the shelf and go, hmm, this looks interesting. So if you looked at my marketing plan and everything else, I just assumed that no one was going to buy this book without getting a referral from somewhere else. Cause that's how in my customer discovery, all, every CEO told me, I said, how do you decide what book to read? And they say, I read what my friends are reading. Or, I heard about it on, you know, people were talking about it on Twitter or they were talking about it on this forum. And that's how I decided. So no one's going to randomly select my book. So part of it was I needed it to be clear what the book was about, but in the end, I didn't think the title actually meant, it didn't uh-huh. actually matter that much okay that's interesting yeah. because some people, I think people just sweat the title a lot uh-huh. um but for me i didn't think it mattered because i thought here's where you're going to buy the book you're going to buy it because uh you saw me talk at a conference or you heard me speak in a podcast like this uh-huh. and you're like hmm, that sounds interesting i should get that book and you're not googling the name of the book you're googling me uh-huh so the biggest thing that mattered on the book was that my name was on the front cover. Cause that's what I'm marketing. Like it was, the, everybody's going to Google April Dunford book. <laughs> like, like, I don't care what it's called. I don't remember okay. what it's called. I don't know. It's just that book, that girl, what was her name? Oh yeah. I look her up. Oh yeah. April Dunford, her April Dunford book. 
Okay. So if you were to write a second book, you you would give it the same kind of attention. You would change that change that strategy. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, I think if I was writing a, a second book, um, you know, again, I think my original instincts in, you know, I just wanted to call the book positioning, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think for the second book is more likely to have a title that just looks like that. It's just descriptive okay. of, you know, this is a book that's going to teach you how to do X. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. So a while back, you mentioned uh, something about agencies, um, that they will be very useful. Um, so I, I, I guess you've had a, or not such a great experience maybe with traditional publishers. Oh, but, traditional publishers. Uh -huh. Well, yeah. So I, when I originally wrote the book, I thought, and I think most people start like this and think, well, I'm going to write a book. I just go to a publisher and that's how I'll get it done. So in my case, um, what happened was, so, you know, I've been working on the material for a long time, trying to teach it. And then I decided, well, I don't know too much about books, so I need to figure out what's a good product. So I did this customer discovery interview. So I interviewed 50 CEOs and I've got a good, I, I've got opinions now about how big the book should be, how it should be organized, whatever. Then I go and talk to publishers and those conversations didn't go so well. Like, uh, first of all, the publishers, um, they didn't seem to understand what it was I was trying to get done. Like, I think in their opinion, business books are conceptual books. Like, I don't think they saw the value in a how-to book. That was the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing was they seemed to not understand that I wasn't writing a generic business book for everybody. And so they kept trying to push me. They were like, well, who's this book for? And I said, well, it's for CEOs of tech companies, marketers, head of product, product people. And they were like, why don't you write a book on how to position your life? And that could be for everybody on the planet. <laughs> and this is funny because it actually goes against everything that we know about positioning. In fact, mm -hmm. trying to position for everybody often results that you have this mediocre product that nobody's happy with. But they were really pushing me to have the book positioned as a thing for everyone to position anything. And so I didn't think that was a, a good book or and it's certainly not a book I was interested in reading. So I had that. And then the other thing was that, um, which I didn't realize going into this, is that, you know, you actually sell the book to the publisher. So now it's the publisher's book. So the publisher gets to decide how many words it is, how they're going to organize it, what, so they own productizing your idea. And I yeah. didn't talk to anybody at a publisher that seemed to understand the first thing about my audience and what my audience wants in a book. So, you know, they came to me and said, it, it has to be this long and it has to be organized like this. And I was like, I don't think my audience wants that. And they were kind of like, trust us, we know. And, and I thought, well, I'm sure you do know for a generic business book, but this isn't that. Okay. And so in the end, I decided to not go with a publisher because uh, I wasn't sure, I didn't feel confident that the publisher was going to produce a good product. And then the other thing I learned from talking to the publisher is other than producing the book, they don't actually do anything for you, like literally mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. And so by then I had figured out, well, I can pay somebody to produce the book exactly the way I want it. Um, 
you know, then what, what do I need the publisher for? So in right. the end, I decided I didn't need the publisher for anything. So I just did it myself. Well, I did it myself with, I hired a company to help me produce it and, uh-huh. and get it listed and help me with distribution and all the things a publisher would do. But I just paid them up front and I get to keep all my royalties. And that's yeah. actually turned out to be a really good decision. Uh-huh. Yeah, I noticed your work with page two. Page two was the main company that I worked with that helped me do, um, you know, editing because I really needed an editor mm-hmm. and layout and cover design and getting the book set up and all that stuff. And yeah. so, yeah, that's who I worked with mainly. Okay. So page two is like kind of a traditional publisher, but that does like the job of a publisher, but doesn't, but isn't owner of the book. So you, they just help you with everything a publisher will help you with. That's without- right. Uh-huh. But you still so they're, the they're just a service and you pay them up front. And so I knew that I didn't want to do that stuff myself because I had no background in that. And so uh-huh. I and I didn't have a problem paying some money to get that done. And I wanted a very professional looking output. Yeah. And so those folks are come from publishing. They're, you know, the, most of the people that work there, I think, are are have worked in pu- traditional publishing, but they're a non-traditional publisher. So they um so they, you know, do the work of a publisher, but you pay them up front and you, they don't get royalties after after the fact. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of companies out there that do this now. And I think mm-hmm. this is becoming more common. Yeah, I think it's more interesting because, as you mentioned, with everything going on with a publisher, it's actually a big risk as an author because you're not the owner of the book anymore. They can do anything with it, but it still has your name on it. Like people are right. going to link it with your name, not with the publisher's name. Well, that's right. And the publisher sees it like they're taking all the risks. Like they're like, we don't know if you're going to be able to sell any books. And and the publisher doesn't actually market. So the publisher is completely reliant on the author to do their own marketing. And that's that's part of their dumb business model, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you know, it would be better if the publishers did do something to help authors market their books. But because they don't, like the publisher sees it as a big risk, and the vast majority of books don't sell. So the the, the, the statistics on this are kind of crazy. It's like only one mm-hmm. percent of books sells more than five thousand copies. So oh. the vast majority of books that publishers pay to get produced never sell enough books to pay off that initial investment that they made in it. So, but for me, um, you know, I didn't think I was going to sell a ton of books, but I was pretty sure I could sell 5,000, no problem. Uh And I thought, you know, even if I sold, even if I got one or two extra consulting clients, it would pay for the cost of getting the the book produced. So I was willing to take a bet on myself and keep control over the product and again, and then so looking at that equation, I said, well, why the heck, why the heck would I do this with a publisher? Right. It makes sense. sense. Especially you come from, I think many people still believe that the publisher is going to do a lot of the marketing work for you, but you come from a marketing background and like, you know, everything you're going to do a way better job than the publisher is going to do, even if they did some. The, the publishers don't even know what marketing is. Like they kept saying to me, well, we'll help you market the book. And I'd say, but I don't under, I don't think you do marketing. Like what marketing will you do? And they would say, well, we'll get it in the, in the catalog so that a bookstore can order it. I'm like, that's distribution. That's not marketing. And by the way, I can pay someone to do that. 
and and just because it's in the catalog doesn't mean the bookstore actually orders it and keeps it in stock. Yeah. So they don't actually even do distribution, even though they try to sell you on that's that's their big value add is distribution. Mm-hmm. But they don't even do that. They they you know they put you in the catalog so that maybe a, a, a bookstore could order you, which you know mine's in the catalog now. You can do that, it's not hard. So it's bizarre. I don't think they know what marketing is. And then they ask me a lot of questions like how they I, they literally ask me, how many followers do you have on Twitter? And I said, well, how many followers do you want me to have? Because if, if you want me to have a million, buddy, I can go buy a million followers. It ain't that hard, <laughs> but it doesn't gonna, that's not going to sell any books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then same thing. They kept asking me how big my mailing list was. And I was like, you know, there's a big difference between a a high quality opted in mailing list and an absolute garbage piece of junk mailing list that Mm -hmm. I just purchased yesterday so that I could show you the number. So they don't know the right, they don't know enough about marketing to even really ask the right questions. So anyways, and then, and then again, me coming from marketing, I was pretty comfortable with doing my own marketing anyway. So I didn't expect them to do marketing and it was clear they weren't going to. And again, it was sort of like, well, am I willing to bet on myself here and just pay to get it produced up front with the idea that I'll obviously get my money back? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am willing to bet on myself. Like I could market that thing and sell at least 5,000 copies. If that's the bar, no problem. Right. How did you handle the marketing? Can you talk a little about that, especially about the idea of like yeah. marketing launches a year, not a day. I came into this with this idea that this is just a product. And so I'm going to do customer discovery, just like it's a product. I'm going to build the product just like it's a product. And then I'm going to launch it just like a product. So in a good tech product launch, uh, you know, the launch day is just a day. It's not the big deal thing. Like you need the product to sell every day after the launch. Mm-hmm. And so that was another thing that I found really strange. Like in the book business, the publishers in particular seem to put all their effort on this first week of sales. And then after that, it was either successful or not, which I, that's not how we do it for products outside yeah. of publishing. So I said, well, I'm not going to do it that way. So in my mind, I had it kind of split up between um, there, there were things I would do pre-availability. So before the book was available, there's a bunch of marketing things you want to do to sort of get people excited about the fact that, yeah, it's coming. So when it is coming, they might buy one. And then there's things you want to do the, the, you know, the week it's available, there's some things you can do because, you know, hey, that's news, it's available now, let's, let's go buy it. And then in a good product launch, what you have is kind of a steady drumbeat of things that are happening every month or every couple of months um, that keep the product in people's minds so that you, they keep buying it. And then eventually, if you're doing this really well, you've sold a lot of copies after a year or so. And then the thing just kind of sells itself after that, because everybody's talking yeah. about it and everybody's uh-huh. read it and you get a lot of referrals. So um, in the pre-launch phase, um, I was, you know, I was blogging a lot about, hey, this book is coming and this is what I'm doing. I was giving te- people teaser bits of it. 
Um, I was building my list uh, by sharing some templates and things that I was working on for the book. Um, I was doing, a, I was really noisy on social media, like, ooh, this book is coming, it's going to be so uh -huh. exciting, you know, I had people looking at, you know, I had different versions of the cover and had people voting on which one they like and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that was reasonably successful. I don't actually think that get, that got me a lot, to tell you the truth, uh, but it made me feel like I was doing something. Um, yeah. In products, generally, when we think about marketing channels, typically we only have two, like one or two channels that really produce all the revenue. And mm -hmm. so I think when you're launching a book, I think you have to be very selective in where you're going to spend your time. And instead of trying to do every channel perfectly, you take the one or two channels that you think you can really smash and go smash them <laughs> and so in my case i had already been doing a reasonable amount of public speaking like not a lot like i would do seven or eight talks in a year at conferences okay. so i thought okay if i really wanted to push that maybe i could double that number or triple that number mm -hmm. and that would be a good way to get me in front of a lot of people Similarly, I was also doing a lot of podcasts at the, at the time. And I thought, you know, I haven't even really tried to be on podcasts. If I tried to be on podcasts, maybe I could be on a lot. So I've had speaking, I had podcasts. And then uh, as far as, you know, I had a little bit of a mailing list, which was kind of secondary. And then I had a little bit of social media. I have a reasonable, I, you know, I have kind of an okay followers on Twitter. It's not a big audience, but they're kind of engaged. And, uh -huh. you know, so I got Twitter. So I thought, okay, that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to focus on that. And so at the beginning of the year, the, the book launched in May. At the beginning yeah. of the year, I had three or four conferences that I was speaking at. And in those conferences, I was trying to get people to sign up to the list to be prepared for the launch. Okay. On the actual day of the launch, I had two conferences I was speaking at in that same week. And so I used those as launch events where I showed up uh -huh. at the beginning and I'm the keynote speaker and we got a couple thousand people in the audience. I'm like, holy cow, people, today's the day. Pick up your phone and order one right now. Uh -huh. So that got a bit of buzz online because I was in front of these two big audiences. And then I think there was one or two podcasts that dropped that week as well. So it was very noisy that week. Um, and I sold a few thousand books, I think, in the first week. Like, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like 3,000, 4,000 books or something in that week. So it was off with a bang. Um, and then the two, three months following that, because I had been so noisy, I started getting asked to speak at a lot of conferences. Like, all of a sudden, I was overrun with requests to speak at conferences. And I said yes to all of them. Okay. So by the end of the year, I had done 50-something, 50 58 wow. conference talks, I think, by the end of the year. This is pre-COVID, right? So uh -huh. we were still doing live conferences. And then I did probably an equal number of podcasts. Um, so then I did a bunch of other things. Like, two months after the book launched, um, I did, I gave away some free books on Twitter again, just to create some okay. buzz. Like, um, I did that. I did, um, I made some stupid bookmarks and stickers and stuff and did a Christmas thing over, oh, during the holiday season where it was like, you know, holiday book giveaway uh -huh. thing. I did that. Um, 
and uh, trying to think what else. Um, I I did a lot of speaking at conferences where instead of instead of me getting paid a fee to speak at the conference, they would the conference bought a bunch of books and everybody mm -hmm. in attendance at the conference got yeah. a book. I didn't do a lot of that, but I did a few. Um, so I really doubled down on just those things. And then the one thing I didn't do that everybody told me that is, is a normal thing is I didn't put the book on sale. Yeah. So most people will do that because they're worried that everything has to happen in this first week. Most people will launch the book and make it 99 cents for the first week and basically give it away just to get the numbers up. So you hit the Amazon bestseller thing, which it turns out is nothing. Uh -huh. It's not important at all. Um, anyway, so I didn't do that because I thought, why would I give it away the first week? Like, these are the people that are the most interested in buying the book. Like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> and I also thought that having a sale would really be a really good momentum thing to do later to get, you know, to get the stragglers across the line. That's yeah. why we need a sale. So I waited until the one year anniversary. And then on the one year anniversary, I did a sale. Um, and I think I sold 5,000 books on the one year anniversary at the sale. Like it was crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, so I was in constant promotion mode for um, over a year. And after that year, did you do any further effort or are you just um, counting almost 100% on word of mouth and recommendations now? Yeah, so after the year, well, a couple of things happened. So one is I'm super, super busy with consulting at this point, like the consulting's going absolutely bananas. And so, and I'm just a person, I'm not like a big team of people. Yeah. So I decided at the year mark, um, I, you know, I was, I was still going to talk at conferences. I'm still, I'm on this podcast right uh -huh. now. And it's, yeah, you know, the book, you. Is two, <laughs> book is two years old. But um, so I was still going to do that. I just wasn't going to put as much effort into it um, and maybe back off a bit on the marketing and spend more time actually executing on the consulting business, which is the whole point of this exercise. Yeah, right. So, um, so yeah, so I haven't done any particular promo for the book, but, you know, we're talking about it now, uh -huh. <laughs> for yeah. example. Uh-huh. Did that influence sales in, in any way? Have you noticed, like, how does it, has it dropped? Is it still going as steady as the first year? Still going. It's it's pretty steady. I, if, I don't check it every day, but the month-over-month the month numbers uh -huh. are actually still going up. Oh, that, that's incredible. That's amazing. Weird, right? Like, I would not yeah. have expected that. Yeah. So I did expect the book to be a little bit of a slow burn. Like, mm -hmm. you know, nobody it's not like I'm famous or anything, you know, yeah. so nobody knows me. I launched this book. Like you wouldn't uh -huh. expect to sell a bajillion copies right out of the gate. And I think if you're lucky, people read the book and they like it. And then over time, this word of mouth thing develops. And so I think yeah. that's what's happening with that book right now is everything is getting sold word of mouth and people talking uh -huh. about it and it landing on a list and people saying, Oh, you got to read this book. Uh, yeah. That worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, I noticed that there were two things that you mentioned in another interview um, that you would change. So in your marketing plan, you didn't launch the audiobook at the same time as the actual book. I think that's yeah. something that you would reconsider. Well, I think I would have been more organized about it. So I do think, again, I think one of the things you want 
is you want a lot of little reasons to have people talking about the book over the first year. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I said, well, release of the audiobook is a good reason to talk about it. So I'm going to hold that one back and then I'll release it later. But then what happened is I got so busy with speaking that I didn't actually have any time to work on the audiobook and get it uh-huh. done. And it turned out it was more effort than I thought. So I didn't, I finally had a break around the end of the year and went in and recorded the audiobook, but then it took a couple of months to get it out. So the audiobook came like February the following year when the book was released in May. And people were angry, like angry. They were like, Where is the audiobook, <laughs> April? And I had to take a lot of flack about this. Oh, the people on Twitter were so mad. Really? And yeah, they were like, yeah, they were like, what's wrong with you? You know, like, you know, some of us can't read books. And I'm like, I know, I know. And so anyways, I felt bad about that. So if I had uh, that to do over again, I would have produced the audiobook at the same time and had it ready to go. But I probably still would have waited a month or two and said, you got to wait a little bit for the audiobook and just made it another thing to talk about, but I would have closed that gap. I wouldn't have waited, you know, six, eight months, whatever it is. By the time uh-huh. I got the thing out, everybody was already mad. Okay. okay. So, so it's, it, it was more of a timing issue than a marketing issue. Actually. It was a timing thing for sure. Like, I think if I hadn't been doing this properly, I also didn't expect the book to sell so much. So I wasn't sure I was going to do an audiobook at all. Like I thought if the thing only sells a couple hundred copies, then too bad. You know, there's going to be uh-huh. no demand for an audiobook. So why do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's see how it goes first. But um, now knowing what I know now, I would have I would have just said, OK, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing the audiobook, and then have it come a little bit after, but not six months after. Right. And then something else that um, you mentioned that you might do differently is your pricing strategy. Yeah. So the, the idea with the pricing. So when I first thought about pricing the book, I just wanted to keep the price low. I didn't want the price of the book to be an obstacle. So I wanted it to have a price. Obviously, I wasn't going to give it away for free, but I didn't see the I didn't see the book as a revenue stream. So I thought, you know, I make a couple bucks a book, maybe I sell a few thousand books. Like all in, it's not going to be a lot of money. So I kind of didn't care about that. So I priced the book really, really low. Since then, I think I've changed my mind about that. Like I think the book is is designed to be high value. It's a how-to book. And I think how-to books are valuable. Um, And I don't think people are price sensitive about the book either. Like I think $15 versus $20 versus $25, if you're ordering a hard copy, what's Mm -hmm. the difference? Like if it's an ebook, you know, it's eight bucks versus 10 versus 15, I don't know. So I might, I might've been less on the second one. I think I would be less worried about putting the price up a little bit, you know, but on the first one, I thought, I don't want anyone to come back and say, Oh, it's so short. And I'd see, you know, and I paid 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want to hear any of that. So I priced it as low as I could basically like Amazon has a bunch of rules about how yeah. low your price could be. And I basically priced it as low as I could um, and still have it look like a normal book on Amazon. Uh-huh. Yeah, Amazon's quite strict in those rules. Um, they play a little bit with the royalties, so they're kind of like strong-arm people into selling their book at a maximum of 
of $9.99, I guess, because when a price goes up, they, have, they only pay you half of the royalties. And then if you go under a certain amount, they also only pay you half. Yeah. It, it sucks that Amazon has such a hold on the book business because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, if I look at the books I've sold, a vast majority of the books are being sold through Amazon. All the other channels are sort of a rounding error, really. Is that both for paperbacks and hardcovers and, and ebooks, or mainly ebooks? Yeah, same with ebooks audiobooks the same thing and my book is listed all over the place it's on uh-huh. all all the places where you can yeah. get an ebook or an uh-huh. audiobook and yeah the vast majority yeah. like just just dwarfs everything mm-hmm. else the thing is amazon also owns many other companies like i thought i never bought a book through amazon but where i buy my books that company is actually owned by amazon so i'm actually buying my books from amazon without even realizing it yeah i put a lot of effort into making the book available so that an independent bookstore if you went to your independent bookstore you could get it there if the the bookstores obviously like i'm a weird niche author so i don't expect the bookstore to stock it but if you saw my book and said i don't want to buy this on amazon i want to buy it from my local bookstore because that's i want to support my local bookstore my book is listed. You can go to your local bookstore, give them the ISDN number, and they can look it up and they can order you a copy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but if I look at how many copies I've sold through that, like it was an effort to set that up. And if I look at how many copies I've sold through that, it's negligible. It's like, yeah. it's like almost nothing. Mm, that's a shame that's a shame yeah i get the reports on it and it's like oh man <laughs> now part of it's covid right the stores have been closed uh-huh. and I don't know, but yeah well let's round up a few questions about writing um and i'd love to hear uh your like three or maybe four or two writing tips that you would give a first time order Oh man, I, you know, I don't know if I did a very good job writing the book. You know, I think maybe maybe a tip would be editors are good. <laughs> you should have an editor. Um, when I worked with page two, they did two types of edits. So they did something called a structural edit where mm-hmm. they just look at the structure of the book and does right. it make sense? It doesn't flow. And then they do a line edit, which is the, you know, is your grammar good and all that stuff. And I'm telling you, like the book changed a lot in those two <laughs> phases. <laughs> so uh-huh. for me, as someone who's not a natural writer, I think editing is very good. So um so I actually, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any tips to give anyone about writing because I don't think I'm a very good writer, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that other people are good at that uh-huh. and you should enlist their help. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so maybe nothing about the actual writing, but what works in terms of setting out time to write your book, to like work on it every week. Yeah, I tried to work on it every day. Like I had a block of time in my calendar and tried to work on it every day. It, you know, and it, I didn't think right for me, writing the first draft of the book was not difficult. What was mm-hmm. really hard was once I got into edits, um, it was clear that there were parts of the book that were not clear to the editor. And so there were yeah. bits of the book that I needed to rewrite and restructure and redo. And that was torture like that was terrible and so 
to do those rewrites, I had to block really big chunks of time. Like I'd need the entire day just uh-huh. because it was mentally challenging work yeah. way more so than writing the first draft of the book. The first draft of the book was no problem. Like I was, re- I'm really deep on this topic. I've been teaching it for years. I've been blogging about it forever. Writing the first draft of the book was the easiest part of the whole thing but going mm-hmm. through edits that was really really hard and and we were stuck in edits for months and months and it was ugh, terrible all right final question then um what's your secret april i don't have any secrets man <laughs> no secrets no secrets to making it work <laughs> you know what i think that um the one thing that I'm really glad that I did was that I'd spent so much time with a live audience of people trying to teach the concepts mm-hmm. involved in the book. And so I think that was the most valuable thing. So there were things that I thought were very, very simple that the first time I wrote about them, I thought, this is so easy. Anyone could understand this. And then people just didn't get it. Like, and it surprised me. I'd be like, what, you don't get that. And so I got really good at examples to back it up and analogies that worked for people. And I knew by the time I actually sat down to write the book, I knew the bits that were hard and the bits that were easy, the bits that were going to get people tripped up and the bits that were not. And so I think you skip that step at your peril. If you're trying to learn how to teach your stuff by writing a book, I think you're doing it in the wrong order. I think you actually have to go and try to teach it with actual people, see where they get stuck. And then your material gets way better um, because you've had that experience in trying to get people unstuck. Okay, so teaching is a secret. Teaching, I think, is a secret. All right, thank you so much, April. Uh, before we go, where can people find out more about you? Where can they buy your book? Uh, yeah, well, you know, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but also from your local bookseller. You can look up the ISDN on Amazon and then go to your local bookstore. And sell there. But yeah, wherever books are, my stuff is available. Um um, but my my website's aprildunford.com and I'm on Twitter at, at April Dunford and sometimes I tweet. But yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for having me. How useful was this? I firmly believe that positioning your book correctly can make it or break it. The information in this interview therefore is crucial. If you'd like to know more about positioning products, which you can then also use to position your book, go buy Obviously Awesome on Amazon or your local bookstore. But also read more about the interview on coffeeandpens.com slash april dash dunford. That's where you'll find interesting links and more in-depth information based on this interview and my reading of the book. Please also hit that subscribe button so that you'll be informed of future interviews, such as the one coming up with Jamie Russo and Ashlam about if creators are like wizards, and the other one with Michelle Hansen about her book, Deploy Empathy. Thanks for listening again. Much love. Kia